with us. My name is Tim. I get to teach somewhat regularly, and, and uh, yeah, I count it a real privilege to do so. Um, we've been in this series of teaching uh, called Who Are You? And we've been looking at issues of identity uh, this fall. And if I had to summarize what we've done this fall so far, kind of, kind of pull it together on one heading, I'd say we've been looking at, kind of, we've been looking at issues of identity that are, that are generally true, universally true, not so much particular kind of this is my personal identity, but, but kind of core issues. So we've talked about where is our value meant to come from? I mean, that's true. Everybody has the same place their value is meant to come from. We've talked about what is, what is biblical authenticity? What's selfish authenticity? We've talked about what does it look like for Jesus to invite people away from of rooting their identity in these things and to root their identity in him instead. So these things that apply um, in some sense to all people, but especially to all followers of Jesus. So we've talked about these things that are universally true, but today I want to move and I want to start talking more about kind of our particular identities. There's a sense that, that we have this, this foundational identity of being creating God's image um, for, and, uh, you know, uh, trusting our lives to Jesus. But then on top of that, on top of that foundation is our, is our particular identity. What's particular, or unique, or individual about us? And I want to begin looking at that part of our identities uh, this morning. Uh, I want, uh, I want to, the text we're going to use um, to begin with today is, uh, is Genesis 16. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, way to the left. And if you want to follow along in the scriptures, we'll be in Genesis 16. And just so you know, a couple things. One, this, this morning's teaching time is going to be a little different. We're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach for a chunk, and then I'm gonna, we're going to have some reflection time. I'll teach for another chunk reflection time. Because I think when we talk about, you know, understanding our individual identities, it, it takes some reflection, like kind of wrestling through some things. I want to just open up a little space to do that today. One of the things that I think is helpful, in, you know, in reflection uh, is uh, our, our questions. And uh, we're going to read a text about a question this morning, but I find questions, I just uh, questions are powerful things. I've always been drawn in Scripture to the questions Jesus asked of people. I just think it's fat, you know, he, there's, he, he didn't just make statements. He asked questions. I find it interesting, the questions, uh, like in a book like Genesis, the questions God asks of people. Um, I think questions are, are, are valuable as we interact with one another. One of my favorite parts, kind of one of our fav- my favorite family rituals uh, in our in our house is every night at bedtime kind of the way we wind down is one of the last things I do is I crawl into bed with each one of my daughters and then we do questions and uh, and I'll just ask them kind of what what do they what do they like or what was good about the day or what made them sad or and, and sometimes it's just silly like sometimes no matter what I ask the answer is pigs ponies unicorns butterflies uh, rainbows. That's it. That's no kind of, no matter what the question is, I always say, and, and then sometimes, like, I'll ask questions, and, you know, I'll really, they'll really say profound things about what's going on in their hearts, and, and just this sense of, of knowing them better, but the power of questions, and, um, and I want to look today at this text, and, and some powerful questions uh, in, uh, in the story uh, that God asked a woman. So, Genesis 16 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1. And just so you have a sense, we're gonna have we're gonna see three people here, three uh, three people: Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Abram and Sarai—they're a married couple. And Abram and Sarai, the God has uh, promised them that they're going to have 
descendants, and their descendants will become a people group, and through this people group, God will be blessing the world. But at this point, Abram and Sarah have no children. So God's promised they're going to have descendants, but they don't have any kids yet. Hagar is their slave. So these are the three people that are going to be interacting in this account. So let's read along. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Okay, just for clarity's sake, this is not good. <laughs> this is not a good thing. I mean, she's blaming God. God's made this promise, but it's not happening when she wants it, so she's blaming God. Um, she decides, instead of waiting to trust in God with the promise, she's going to force it to happen. And then do you even notice how she's speaking of this? She doesn't even use Hagar's name. She, Hagar is reduced to my slave who can bear children. Just slave and a, and a role. So in some ways, not even um, seeing Hagar as a person. And then this is what happens next. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she, when she, that is Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. Let's pause there for a second. I mean, throughout this whole account, uh, again, you know, Abram does nothing uh, to resist uh, this, this, this spirit that's in Sarai. Sarai blames him for what's happening. And then do you notice how they're, over and over again, nobody ever says Hagar's name. Hagar is always my slave, your slave, and she's reduced to the one who can bear children. It's all they see her as. So Hagar is being mistreated. She runs away. And then verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And that, and that, that could be the angel of the Lord. You could translate that the messenger of the Lord. So this is the one. I mean, I know angel, certain things pops into our head about wings and halos. But this is the messenger of the Lord, the representative, the one who brings, who represents God's words. So the, the messenger of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was, it was that spring that is uh, beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from? Where are you going? He says her name. And he says, where have you come from? Where are you going? Why, why would God ask this question of this woman? Does 
Does God not know where she came from and where she's headed? Does he, he, he want her to give an itinerary report? Or maybe it's the messenger of the Lord is lost, and if he knows where Hagar's come from, where, he, where she's going, then he can figure out where he is. I mean, why, why would God ask this woman, where have you come from and where are you going? Questions. Questions reveal what the question asker values. Questions reveal what is on the heart and the mind of the question asker. What the question asker cares about. Questions for the person being asked, questions open up possibilities for the person being asked the question. It opens up a space to reflect and consider And God says to Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going? God cares to know where she's come from and where she's headed. God invites her to reflect upon her past and her future. And I think this this interacts directly with, this is a woman, in some ways, she's been stripped of her identity. Abram and Sarah have just said, you're the slave who can bear children. And um, in some ways, even by asking her to reflect on her past is, is empowering her to have a sense of identity again. Our past, our history, and our identity are all bound up together. Memory and identity are tied together. I mean, think about if a person has total amnesia, they forget their entire past. In a lot of ways, they lose their identity. You know, where do I live? What do I do? Who's my family? Who are my friends? Our memory and our identity are tied up. And so God invites Hagar to reflect on her past. And God cares about it. And in some way to to restore her sense of identity. I believe that God, God cares. God cares to know. God cares to speak to Hagar about where she's been, what she's been through, how it's felt, where she's headed. And Hagar understands, uh, Hagar understands these questions are asked to her, and she understands them, and she sees her life in the context of a God who cares for her. It's interesting, I just want to kind of um, summarize what happens next. Uh, the, the messenger of the Lord asks Hagar these questions, and then they, they talk about it. And, uh, the messenger of the Lord, on God's behalf, blesses her, and then the way the account ends is the, the way it ends is that Hagar does something towards God. And it's this in verse 13. It, it says that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So, so the whole account ends with, it says she gave this name to God. Do you know the first person in all of Scripture to name God? An Egyptian mistreated slave girl. And she names God the God who sees me. 
And so these questions that she's been invited into, where have I come from? Where am I going? She, she reflects on those and understands them to be in the context of the God who sees her entire life. These questions that, um, that God asks of Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? I believe that not only, not only did God ask those, but I believe God continues to ask these questions. I believe God asks us, God asks you, where have you come from? What is your past? What have you been through? What has shaped you? Where are you going? What's your vision of the future? What are your plans? I believe God still asks people, where have you come from and where are you going? And, uh, and, and I believe that, that in the context of, as we... As we trust that God sees us, that he is with us from, from before we even realize that he's watching over us and calling out to us, I believe it creates, a, I mean, it, if, if people who trust in the goodness of God, if anyone should have the courage to dig up their past, to bring it out in the light and look at it, it should be people who trust in the God who reveals himself in Jesus of Nazareth, that God is this good. He is the one who invites us to look back, look at our families, look at how it shaped us, look where we've come from, look at the generations before us, look at those dark things, the unforgiveness and hurt in our past, and to bring it out in the light, to reflect on it, to be honest about where we've come from. I believe God invites us to look at our past. And this, this, there's all different ways that we can do this. Uh, some people practice journaling, and they'll, they'll journal, and over the years they'll go back and read old journals. Sometimes people, need, sometimes people need to set up something like to, to be seeing a counselor, to create a place where they can process through their, 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 their story with their family. Sometimes people need, you know, with a mentor, with their small group, that you, you have safe friendships where you can process. This is, these are the forces. This is where I've come from. Sometimes people do family trees or genograms, or sometimes maybe it's, not even, maybe it's not even us looking at our past, but maybe for some of us, it's us writing down the family story so that the next generation can know where they came from. But I believe God still asks, where have you come from? I want to, today, as we think about this and we think about how our past shapes our identity, we're going to do, do an exercise today. I'm just going to give us some time to reflect on this, uh, to think about where we've come from. And this is how we're going to do it. So, um, did, uh, did most everybody get a piece of paper? Yeah? If you didn't, there's, I put more paper, notebooks, and pens back there. So in a minute, when I, we kind of start working on this, feel free to jump up and go grab one um, if you don't have anything. Um, but what I'd invite you to do is open it up, and so you've either got your piece of paper or your notebook, and uh, some of us are going to love this, some of us is going to be, well, I don't get it, but that's okay, we're going to try it. Uh, what I want you to do is to, to, to draw the story of your life as a road map, okay? So this, you can be as creative as you want to be, but think uh, it's a metaphor, so maybe big decisions could be crossroads, 
maybe there are times that are really rough times where you got stuck for a while. That could be a swamp or a desert. Maybe there's high points, beautiful points. That could be a mountain pass or an ocean view. Maybe it's like a garden that you went through. Uh, maybe there's times where fellow journeyers joined you, and you can draw, you can draw those fellow journeyers. Maybe there's a, a sharp turn where you're headed one direction, and all of a sudden you want, veered off in a different direction. So, you know, you, you've got your roadmap there, and you've got some mountains, and you've got uh, up here, and then all of a sudden you turn this way, and here's your forest. I, this is, this, I shouldn't even try to do that. Yeah, you get the idea. So, metaphor... Uh, of drawing the drawing your past as a roadmap, be as creative as you like. There's some ideas up there. Uh, take five minutes. Go. back up here i i realize that is just like scratching the surface you're just barely getting started and i get that uh but uh th- let this be something that you come back to again throughout this week that you keep working on that you develop i mean this is the, the you know this is a great kind of thing to process through with your small group maybe you don't share all of it but you share parts of it uh that we have people um that we're reflecting on this journey with but i want to what i want to do is so we talked about this idea that, that, that God invites us to reflect on where have we come from. God cares for us to know our past. And uh, that, that God, that Hagar ref, re, reflects on that in the context of understanding that God sees her. She's seen by God. What I'd like to do is I want to take that idea, reflecting on our past in light of God seeing us, and I want to take that further. I want to push further down the road of that idea. This past summer, uh, I had surgery on my left ankle. And some of you may have seen me limping around for a while. And I had surgery on a Friday. And so they sent me home, and they, they give you, of course, they give you a bunch of painkillers to manage the pain that, you know, that first weekend. And so I had Percocet, which is this heavy narcotic. And there's different side effects to Percocet, one of which is paranoia. And... Um, and so the first night, I'm, we're, you know, I'm that first night of the surgery, and we've got a, at the time, Charlotte was our two-month-old. So she's up, she's up there in the night, and Christy's, you know, Christy's feeding her. And so one of the times, Christy feeds Charlotte, it's like four in the morning, and wakes me up, and I'm kind of stirring around, and then Christy falls back asleep. And then um, I, uh, and all of a sudden I hear this bang from outside the house, and I think, what was that? I'm, wait, a minute passes. Bang! Same noise again. I'm thinking, what is going on? Another minute. Bang! Happens again. And I'm, Chrissy, Chrissy, something's banging outside the house. You know, she's like, what? She's been up over and over again. Now her husband's waking her up. And she's like, what? I don't, I don't hear anything. What are you talking about? Go back to sleep. And then right then, I hear something like maybe a car, somebody going down the alley. And right kind of next to our bed, we have a window with blinds. And so I pop up and I'm peering out the blinds like this. And she's, what are you doing? Go to bed. I heard something out there. She's like, you are just, you are so paranoid. Just sleep. And, uh, and that's, you know, I didn't see it. So eventually... I go back to sleep. Well, over the, the coming days, she and I 
had a number of um, conversations about whether I was paranoid because of the Percocet or there were legitimate things to be investigating (laughs) that night. And I need you all to know there were noises out there and somebody needed to look into them. So, the, but in our life, in our life, these, uh, these, these things happen. Uh, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's a single event, but the reality is in, in our life, that we have these events, we have these experiences. But oftentimes the same data, the same event, the same experience can, can be told multiple different ways. There are different interpretations of the same experience. Different stories can be told from the same data. And so I want to push into the idea, if, if God asks us to reflect on our past, even once we've laid our past out, we can tell different stories from those events. We can make different kinds of meaning out of it. I want to see how God might invite us to make meaning out of it. I want to invite you to turn for the second chunk to Luke chapter 15. So Luke is way to the right in your Bible. It's right after Mark, right before John. And it's one of the four ancient biographies about Jesus. And in chapter 15, Jesus gives a series of teachings. That uh, a number of them are quite well known. And I want to look, look at one called the prodigal son from the lens of how, to, how might God invite us, how might God want to invite us to tell the story of the events of our past, of our life. So uh, Luke 15 uh, God's, or Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son, and um, the story goes something like this. That there's a man with two sons, a younger son and an older son. The younger son comes to the father and says, he says, Dad, I'd like my inheritance. And in this time and place, to ask for the inheritance is basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead, but since you're not dead, can I still have my money? And so the, the father gives him the inheritance. The younger son goes to a far country in this far country, he blows his money. He ends up taking care of pigs, wishing he could eat the pig slop, not being able to. And while he's in this, this impoverished state, he realizes, hey, the servants on my dad's estate, they live better than this. I'm just going to go home and ask if I, can, if I can live on my dad's estate as a servant. And so uh, we're going to pick up with the story there in, verse, in Luke 15, 20. I want to pick up there. We read this. So he, that's the younger son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Put the best robe and bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, both the younger son and the father, they knew the same kind of general outline. They knew the order of events in the younger son's life. They both knew he, the, the younger son had wished the dad was dead, got the inheritance, went away, blew the money, and came back. They both knew that. But they, made, they told two very different stories from it. The younger son told this story. 
He said, I am no longer worthy to be called a son. That is the meaning he made of those events. And the father told a different story. The father said, here is my son who is dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. You see, it's not enough just to know our past, to know where we've come from, to know what's happened in our lives. There's different, we can take those events in our lives and we can tell different stories, make different meaning, understand them in different ways. And the younger son looks at the events of his past and the younger son tells a story of, of relationship lost, of re- unrepairable situation. That he'll ne- it'll never be the same between his father and him. But the father looks at those same events and tells a different story. He says, no, that's not true. What is true is this. My son who is dead is alive again. My son who is lost is found. The father tells a story of redemption, of reconciliation, of restoration. I believe when we look at the stuff of our past, God invites us to know where we've come from, but he also invites us to listen to how he tells our story. There's a second son. There's a second son. The older son has watched his younger brother go and squander, squander the inheritance. The, the older son has stayed and he's been responsible. He's stayed with his dad. And when he hears that the younger son has come home and a party is being thrown, from, thrown for him, this is the older brother's reaction. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Both the older brother and the father, they know the same outline of the older brother's life. That he's the one who stayed. He's been responsible. He's worked for. They know the general outline. But they tell two very different stories from it. The older brother tells the story. He tells the story, I've been slaving for you and you've never given me anything. But the father tells a different story. The father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, I think it's not enough for us. God invites us to look at our past, but we have to do that in the light of the one who sees us. And there are there are ways that we can tell the story of our past that are, not, that are not true, that are not redemptive. And God invites us. He says, let me tell you your story. And the older brother, he tells a story of slavery and stinginess. But the father comes to him and he says, let me tell you a story of intimacy offered. And generosity extended. As you think about where you've come from. How might God tell your story? I believe we are to be a people. 
that yes, we reflect, we're aware of where we've come from, but not only that, but we listen to how God tells our story. We listen to what he says is true about our past. See, both those brothers, they had a choice, they had a decision to make. If they would live, in the, if they would live out of the story they told of their past, or if they would live out of the story that the father told of their past. They had, they, they, they had a choice. Which one am I going to believe? Which one am I going to trust? Which one am I going to live out of? And the father offered a better and truer story of their past. My son is alive again. You've always been with me and everything I have is yours. I believe God invites us as we reflect on our past. God invites us to be people who listen to how he tells our story. And there's all different ways to do this. Uh, one of the practices that I've, I've tried different times is, you know, I talked about journaling earlier. But when, sometimes what I'll do is I'll journal on one half of a page. I won't journal in my Bible, but this is just if it was a notebook. But like, you know, what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. And then the other half of the page I'll write, what is God saying is true? What is, how does God see this situation? How does he see me right now? I know another way that's been helpful um, for a lot of people in, in listening for how God sees our story, how God sees what's going on, uh, is, is community. Is whether it's like a formal relationship where you have a spiritual director or a mentor, or it's just it's other friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, or whether it's a small group, but places where we have people who can speak truth to us and say, you know, I don't think that's how God sees what you've been through. Oftentimes God uses the people around us to speak to us about how he sees our story. It's important not only that, we're, that, we, that we reflect on where we've come from, but we do that in the context of God who sees us, and he is the one who wants to tell and make meaning of where we've been, through, been from, been come from. I want to invite us to do this now. So this is kind of the second half of our reflection. What I'd like you to do, what I invite you to do, you've started writing your map out, and you can continue to work on that. But in the time remaining, you can almost think of it as, remember the old transparencies, the old projectors? You could kind of have one thing down, you write on it, and then you could, put, you could put another one on top of it. So we don't have those today, but I want you to imagine on top of your map that you've already written, I want you to put on top of that how God sees some of those events. You could even have road signs along the way. But road signs of how, okay, you've got this sharp turn and, you know, you've made it look like a swamp. But then a road sign, this is what God says is true about that. This is how he tells that part of your story. You've got, you've got this beautiful mountaintop view, but, but then right next to that, you've got this road sign. This is what God was up to during that time. And this is how he tells that season of your life. So that you have on the same piece of paper the events, where you've come from, but also how God tells the story at the same time. Is that making sense? All right. Take five minutes. Um, continue that reflection. And then uh, Carlo and the team will be back up and we'll continue in worship.